Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the We Do Marketing Hour. I'm Alex Valencia, your host, and I'm super stoked to have not only a friend, but a colleague, this motherfucking badass, Mike Mogul, owner of Criff, also author of The Game Changing Attorney, that's been a bestseller. Um, this guy rocks. His story is absolutely amazing. Super stoked to have you on the show. Thank you so much for making time because I know you guys are super swamped. We got exciting things coming out in the next year that you guys continue growing, not only with the podcast, but with the conference and with Crisps. So we can't wait to hear all about it. Man, well, well, thank you for having me. And right out of the gate, I was already thinking, man, this is going to be an explicit rated podcast dropping the, you know, dropping the F-bomb. So I'm excited, man. Thank you for, for bringing me on. Yeah, yeah, no, thanks so much for having you. So, Mike, so we did something a little different. Uh, we reached out to your wife, who was super, super uh, kind enough to share some uh, answers to some of the questions we had about you. Um, and we'll we'll jump into that. But first, let me, uh, you know, I want people to learn about you. I'm sure most of the people that are listening to the podcast already know you and have been to the Game Changer Summit. But give us a brief history about you, like, you know, go deep from when you were a child to, uh, you know, the whole story we want to hear. Oh, wow. Okay. So how, how brief, how brief are we talking? This is a three hour podcast, like a Rogan podcast or we got, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Cause I know you can go deep. Uh, just, just do it. We'll, we'll flow. We'll flow with it. Perfect. So, um, so essentially my family and I, um, we were basically came over from Eastern Europe when I was four years old. So we were refugees. Um, I came over here with my, my mom, my dad, my younger brother, and then our grandparents. Um, they came over here, just essentially your common immigrant story, uh, in search of opportunity really for their children. And when they got here, so my dad was an engineer previously, my mom was a nurse, but their degrees didn't transfer. So my dad became a mechanic and my mom was a hairdresser. Um, they came here, like didn't speak the language. We didn't have any family here. We didn't have um, really anybody like there's no like previous generation here to help us so they had to start over um, they had $500 to their name and you know growing up I, I will say I was very very lucky I've had very supportive parents that always valued like education they you know it just I lucked out in terms of the parents, but growing up, we didn't have much in the way of like, you know, financial means and those sort of things. I didn't really know that as a kid. I mean, when we grew up, like I didn't know that, you know, we were poor. I just thought that that's how everybody was. Um, but I grew up being very entrepreneurial and, uh, you know, I originally was going to school. I was a biology major, uh, was going to go to med school. I took the MCAT. I got into med school. Um, I spent a lot of time prior to this, well over a hundred hours shadowing doctors and just realized that that's, you know, being entrepreneurial was not the path for me, but I didn't know what that path would be. So essentially, um, I decided that before I went to med school, I would take a year off and try to figure that out in terms of what I wanted to do. Um, this was in 2008. Um, we all remember what happened in 2008. So I go from like honors graduate to washing dishes at this dive bar at this place called Taco Mac. So as you can tell, my parents at that point were very proud of the investment they made in coming over to this country and giving up their lives and investing in my brother and I for you know 20 plus years for me to be washing dishes at a dive bar graduating from college um but um that you know that led to me kind of exploring a lot of different things which eventually led to me buying a camera um just to learn to take pictures i thought it'd be a nice lifetime hobby to learn just you know and i was out there taking pictures of like plants and flowers and landscapes and trees and that sort of thing um my hobbies historically have turned into more than hobbies so um in a kind of indirect way um 
um, a guy that I went to high school with, he was a bartender at this nightclub and he asked if I wanted to come by and take photos. And I didn't know anything about nightclub photography, but I said, why not? It'd be a great way to hone my skills as a photographer. And I remember walking up. So I didn't realize this, Alex, actually until probably about a month ago. This is actually a very pivotal moment in my life. So as I was walking up to this nightclub, and this was probably at like 11 p.m., uh, um, and I have like my camera backpack, and I'm all ready to take pictures. And I get to the front, and I see this huge line of people trying to get in the door. Um, and I walk up to the front, and you know, basically they ask me, why am I there? And I say, well, I'm there to take pictures, and Brandon sent me, and, you know, all this stuff. And I'll never forget, there was already a photographer there, and he sees me, and he comes out to the front door, and he says, get the F out of here. Like, we already have a photographer. So I'm thinking, all right, cool. I'm just going to go home, right? Because obviously they got that taken care of. And as I'm walking away, I'm thinking, you know what? Um, you know, they did ask me to be here. Let me just let me just see what happens. And I like went back in there. And, you know, this has been an interesting moment because that led to me taking pictures that night. And then they liked them so much, they asked me to come back every night. And then that led to me building a photography business, which led to a video company, which led to a corporate video company, which eventually led to Crisp. And the reason why I mentioned this is because, you know, a lot of times people hear kind of my 22 pitches story where, you know, it took me like I went through 21 failures of meetings trying to get this company crisp off the ground and it wasn't until the 22nd that someone finally said yes and we had our first client but what was interesting to me is i never thought about that nightclub story of what would have happened if i just kept going and walked back to my car like i don't know that any of this would exist today so for whatever reason um i did turn around one thing led to the next um i honed my skills for many many years in one of the most challenging industries ever uh, in nightclubs and hospitality i mean you know our um every year half of the businesses would go out of business like bars and restaurants and events and then you know if it rained on a Friday night, right? No one was going out. So, you know, that was problematic. And then, you know, I'd spend hours arguing with promoters trying to get paid like 50 bucks so that I could split that money and pay like other photographers that I had who were college students that also didn't show up to shoots. And then I'd get calls at three in the morning. So it was like misery for four, you know, it was four and a half years. But I learned a lot of great things about how to run a business and learned how to work with people. And I learned just essentially how to do more with less. And, and then in terms of building crisp, that was essentially me realizing that with the nightlife stuff, we were sitting at the wrong table. And when I say we, I just got into the habit of it. It was just me at the time. But um, most of the people that were in that industry, they wouldn't even wake up till noon. Um, they were not engaged in probably the right types of habits and behaviors that I think are conducive to. It was essentially a dead end. And, and I figured, all right, well, let me just instead of sitting at this table in this nightlife hospitality space, what if we built a business around our ideal client, which were our corporate clients at the time, which led to you know starting Crisp. And Crisp was you know a video company initially, and we'd work with companies like Coca Cola and Verizon and Red Bull. Um, but then, you know, a few years in, there was a lawyer who came to us and she really had no online presence. She was a small firm, you know, had a difficult time standing out. And we ended up producing a number of videos for her. Like, so she didn't have the, the financial resources to compete with a big firm. Like she couldn't do TV and radio and billboards. But at the time, and this was in, I believe, you know, 
2014, um, social media, um, Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, all those different platforms, there was a lot of opportunity and there was a lower barrier to entry for businesses to be able to advertise there. So we helped her out, produced a lot of great videos. Her business explodes. Then we do it for another lawyer and then another lawyer and then another lawyer. And I didn't know anything at the time about the legal industry, but as we started to do this, number one, it was a lot more rewarding than working with Coca-Cola because we were helping small businesses and at Coca-Cola, I mean, everybody in Atlanta was working with Coca-Cola. So it wasn't that, you know, it wasn't that special candidly. And then a lot of decisions were happening through, you know, hundred person committees. I just didn't feel like we were making much of a dent there, but for small businesses in particular, we were, I mean, it was transformative. It was giving them a fighting chance. And what I learned about the legal industry at that time was super saturated, um, super competitive. It's difficult for consumers to differentiate one law firm from another. Like they can't tell apart who's a great lawyer, who's an okay lawyer, you know, they, they just don't know. I mean, they all say super lawyer, right? And, and at the time, it also realized that small firms are really at a, at a disadvantage competitively because they don't have the same resources a lot of large firms do. So they can't do a lot of the traditional advertising. So doing things like video and telling their story and humanizing them would give them a fighting chance. And then as I, as I basically like wind this whole thing down, we started with the videos and that, you know, these videos were like movie trailers. So they really helped to stand out and they'd go on the firm's website and social media and that sort of thing. Then we realized most of our clients didn't know what to do with the videos. I mean, we put them on their website, but outside of that, they didn't know necessarily how to place them. So we introduced the marketing side, which would be placing that content on social media, Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, Instagram. But then, you know, a few years later, the next problem we realized was that you could have great content and you can differentiate and stand out and you can have the content placed well to where you're driving calls and leads. But if you don't know how to answer the phones properly, if the leadership team isn't right, right, if the culture isn't right, if the structure isn't right, then it doesn't matter how good the marketing is, which is then when, you know, back in 2018, we entered the coaching space. So today, Crisp is really a law firm growth company. I, I actually believe, I think we're the largest law firm coaching company for law firms and their teams. And still, wow. you know, we still shoot the videos, we still do the marketing, but it really evolved to, you know, if I could go back, I would have done it the other way around. I would have flipped it and done it in reverse because I think that it's so important. You'd have done the coaching yeah, first. Yeah, you because know, to get the foundation right. Because if, um, right, you know, right. if, if you're putting like lipstick on, you know, I don't, I don't want to like offend anybody, but it's like, it's, <laughs> if the foundation isn't right, it doesn't matter how much marketing you pour on it. You know, all this stuff's going to slip through the cracks. And then even then, let's say it works. Let's say the marketing works and all that stuff. Then you've got a firm that's overwhelmed. There's, you know, there's stretched that capacity. Um, it actually creates a different type of problem. So you go from like, oh, you know, we're not bringing in enough cases to now we're so stressed out and exhausted because we can't handle these cases. And then our culture is a mess. And then our leadership team is a mess. So, you know, we really wanted to solve the root problems and not just so that's kind of been the, the evolution over the years. Wow, that's amazing. And and what a great ride. Um, so you were around 2008 is around when we started our business because of the crash too, my wife and I. So both you and your wife started this and, and I was listening to the podcast that you, she interviewed you in and uh, you know, you were said one, one of your mentors or the people you look up to was her, right? Was one of them because uh, you knew the sales, you knew how to get it, you knew the business dev development, but if it wasn't for the knowledge that she had, the operations background, anything like that, you wouldn't have a company. Um, very similar to us, because I don't, you know, my wife manages that whole side, the whole oper operation side. So, you know, God bless. That's amazing that you guys have that together and, and have built it together. To, to Man, this I'll tell you what, like, 
I've made a lot of bad decisions. If I have one redeeming good decision, it was um, you know, Jessica. I mean, no Jessica, no Crisp. I can say that with absolute right. certainty. Now, I was building this company, but I would have just, you know, I could work hard, but I could also bang my head against the wall a hundred times. You know, she's somebody that really like, you know, when we really grew and when things really took off, it was because of her, right? Because she was laying that groundwork. I didn't know anything about anything, right? I knew how to work hard. And I think I had some, you know, some, some talent maybe in, in terms of like risk tolerance and maybe sales and marketing and those things. But uh, if you can't get, you know, the team right, the culture right, the operations right, if you can't scale that, you know, it's, it's one thing to be able to do something well one time, right? It's another thing to do it 10,000 times every single month consistently in every market across America. I mean, so that's, that's a very different thing. So to me, that's really the magic. And that's Jessica. I agree. I think. I, and at what point? So around what point was that when when Jessica took over, you were doing everything in the front end, but she was behind the scenes, really pulling the strings and doing everything, getting the production going. Did you see that? Yeah. So this was so I started the company in 2012. I believe with Jessica it was really 2013, 14. So I think she stepped in towards the end of 13 and then uh, or, or the start of 14. Now, coincidentally, um, less than a year after Jessica stepped in, we hit a million in revenue, right? That's this is complete coincidence. Uh, we never did that before. Um, but I will tell you, when Jessica stepped in, she cleaned everybody out, right? I didn't even know. Like, it, what's interesting is that I think sometimes there's this perception made in the outside where they see Jessica and like, I, I really do think people have this backwards. Like when Jessica and I met, I was broke as hell and I had nothing. And she was actually doing really well as a consultant, right? So like, it's like that Southpaw story with like that movie with Jake Gyllenhaal. Like she's been with me for the, the, the ride all the way up. And in fact, um, it's not even so much like been with me, like we did it together. I mean, we were in the office seven days a week, Saturday and Sunday, every single, like every day for years and years and years and years. Um, we didn't stop the Saturday and Sunday stuff until, you know, our daughters were born a few years ago. But you know, it's the best part of it was is that um, she never gave me a hard time. I never had to explain anything because she was right there with me, right? Like we would go in together and build this thing and you know, all the different horrors and challenges and just the pain that you go through. Um, I, I, I think it was easier for me at least because I didn't have to do it alone. You know, I had someone right there with me. You know, we'd go to seminars and we, you know, on the, you know, we'd be taking notes together on the flight back. We'd be like outlining action items, right? We'd never wait for like Monday, right? If the seminar was like, you know, Friday, Saturday, Saturday on the flight back, boom, we're doing the action items, we're laying it out. Sunday, we're back in the office working like, you know, it's so um, to have somebody like that who's there and helps you and supports you, I'm just incredibly grateful. And Jessica's strength was also all the things that I was not good at, which is a lot of the operational stuff, processes, patience, you know, those types of things, they were Jessica's strengths. And she did not love the things that, you know, I happen to enjoy, like the sales and the marketing and, and all that stuff. So <laughs> it was a great synergy. Um, so I, I can say that, you know, probably one of the most important decisions we make in life is really our choice of spouse, right? And who we marry. Um, because if you, if you, if you do that right, this person can help take you to new heights. If you do it wrong, um, it could be an anchor for the rest of your life. So choose carefully. You, you ever get the comments on how do you guys do it? How do you, uh, how, how are you married to your business? Partner? Yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's, uh, so that's a good question. I, 
what I will say is that we've always had very clear lines of accountability in terms of like who does what, right? So like, it, meaning that we don't get in each other's way. Um, even even today right. with the business, so um, Jessica's no longer in that operations role. Like we have a director of operations and a COO now. Um, she's now kind of moved into our ho- like head of coaching strategy. You know, uh, a few years ago, we basically realized that uh, we did have to kind of add more of a bench in between us in the sense that, you know, if she and I went on vacation, it's like, well, who was running the business? Right. Um, and then also, you know, once, you know, once our daughters were born, um, we wanted to be able to spend more time with them. So being involved in the day to day of everything was just not going to be sustainable long term. But I will say, like, we, we never overlapped. So that's one thing. Um, and then, you know, two, we also had a number of different kind of like brown rules. Right. In the sense of like how we would handle conflict or, you know, if, if you're, you know, uh, I, I always say it's like if you go to work with your spouse, it's your your relationship. It's like dog years. Right. Because you like wake up and then. And you go to the office and then you're there and then you come home. I mean, you're around each other all day long. So it's like multiply Mm -hmm. however long you've been together by seven. Um, So it's, you know, the big thing is that, you know, we had a rule, for example, that um, if you're frustrated and you want to complain, great. You can do it one time and you can do it for five minutes, but then either do something about it or accept it because you can't complain about the same thing twice. Right. So there's like like little things like that. Um, but uh, you know, honestly, I, I view it as very lucky. I'll, I'll put it that way uh, in terms of like how we did it. Um, it's you know, I'm, I'm very, very fortunate that we had complementary uh, like like or basically inverse strengths and weaknesses. That's probably one thing. Um, and then, two, you know, we were very, very committed and I chose, you know, a, a spouse who was very much vested in what we were trying to do. Um, and then as we were growing it together, I think it helped to build a lot of confidence, too. Um, but more than anything, I think we were just there was an ultimate level of trust uh, that we had between each other. So, you know, it's been a journey. I, I feel like to an extent I almost have like PTSD uh, of, of, of some of those early years that like sometimes when I like have to like rethink back, man, did we really do that? Like, were we really every Saturday and Sunday for five, six years? Like, wow, it's just wild to me. Uh, Jessica had to say that uh, even as a spouse and in business, the Game Changers Summit 2018, executing that event and how it went down has so far been one of the best business members. Man, like that first summit, uh, you know, I, I go back. I mean, I still think, again, it's kind of like lucky and almost fortuitous in how it happens. And by the way, when I say luck, I'm not trying to take away any of the hard work because anything, you know, that you do that's worthwhile is going to require a tremendous amount of work. But there's certain things that were lucky. Like, for example, it just so happened that the year before, so there was like, you know, a great legal conference, AVO, used to do like the Lawyeronomics conference. And it right. just so happened right that they were acquired by internet brands so that conference stopped and there really wasn't a kind of like a business of law conference there was a lot of like trial conferences but not so much a, a business of law like rock concert tony robbins like Dreamforce style event so when we decided to do one which you know that year in 2018 we initially intended it as like kind of a client appreciation event and we thought if we could get 200 people there it'd be amazing um but that first one ended up to you know being about 500 people um it was you know i i was watching a video they were they were going to post like a vlog uh or like a, a video of me from that event and i was watching myself the other day and all i could think of was like man uh, that was Michael trying to be Michael. Like basically it was a guy like base with size, like 
five feet wearing size 12 shoes. And like, I didn't know, like I never had that kind of stage time, you know, before they used to put me in a back room and give me like, you know, 20 minutes while like four other things were happening at that time. So they're like, okay, cool. Go carry an event. And I'm like, wait, I gotta be up here for, you know, four hours or five hours one day and then six hours the next day. And like, you know, I was trying, but you know, Alex, it's funny because, um, this is when I knew that like, I, uh, I did horrible on the first one because the following summit, uh, in 2019, the second game changer summit, the most common feedback that I got from people was like, man, you were so much better at this one. And I'm like, Oh, that means <laughs> I was at the first one, but you know, you know we learn. Yeah, that is. And uh, I don't know if you've heard this, but uh, have you ever heard that you've been referenced to the P.T. Barnum of legal marketing? No, no. Don't tell me about that. It, isn't that kind of cool? Okay. I mean, I, so I, I think that growth, um, th that's a great thing. I think it's an amazing compliment. And, uh, you know, you uh, even if you might have felt that you were feeling size 12 shoes, you, you came up with it and you were confident about it and you performed and you did what you had to do. And not only did it expand and grow throughout the different conferences and you become better, but uh, I think you're real, right, on stage. So it's like, there's no bullshit in you. So when you get up there, it's, you're just trying to be honest. And, um, you know, obviously the, the goal is to help other attorneys and, and sell a product. But I think the honesty behind it is, is great, but you're, you're an awesome showman. I mean, I, I was just so impressed. I, I learned so much at the last conference, um, not only running the business, like I, I was super impressed what you guys are doing with your employees, whether they want to be part of that educational and growth factor that, I, and I forget what you guys call it specifically and that, and what role maybe Jessica probably had in, in, in growing all your employees. But one of the comments you were like, look, you don't have to stay here. You don't have to like what we're doing, but if you're not going to do it, you, you, you can lick, right? There's a door, but we're willing to grow you and, and get involved in, with you and, and, and be part of your growth. And, you know, obviously giving them away a car and, and doing everything that you're doing to keep them motivated. And, um, part of the business is, is amazing. And I love that because, uh, you know, a lot of us fail there where, where we're really giving back and educating. So not only are you really doing it for the outside, but, but you're doing it internally. So that growth and that love for it kind of shows and, and trickles into all of your clients that they're working yeah, with. Yeah, look, so. look, man, I'll, I'll echo that in the sense that, man, people are everything, everything. Like it's, I mean, it, it, at the end of the day, it, I, I'll never forget. So when we did that virtual conference last year, that Evolve Summit, um, I got this one uh, feedback service. We always send out feedback services. We always want to know how to make these things better. And one person said, I really didn't like how you started the event, you know, because I started the event thanking everybody who worked on the event, like our team, the AV team and everything. And he's like, I, I don't know, you should have just saved that for the end, right? Uh, why did you start with that? And like, that was like the, the ding, I guess I had against me. Um, and the reason why I did that, number one, is is just because I think sometimes if you say that for the end, right? That, but you know, some people will drop off by then. But two, like the only reason I believe all of us like ever look good is because there's a massive team of people that are super committed doing great work every single day. And whether it's with our clients and whether it's with, you know, one another, whether it's with our communities, what have you, if you take away all those people, 
I ain't shit. And I am back in that dive bar. And, and I recognize that every single day. I mean, um, to me, the, the greatest, like, if, if there's one thing that I think is like an amazing competency for a leader to have, like if you could hone one thing, it's like the ability to attract great human beings and to be able to like engage them and align them and get them to work together in pursuit of this vision. Um, and, and it's just realizing that like it's, it's impossible to do any of these things we've done without a massive team, right? Even for that Evolve Summit, I mean, there was over 200 people that were involved in putting that together. And then the last Game Changers Summit, it was almost 300. I mean, they're like everything from like the load in to like all the people working the event during to like the, you know, the stage setup to the, you know, even our, our DJ to the, you know, what's going on backstage to when we're creating content. I mean, it's just such a massive effort. Um, and, and even outside of the events, even with, you know, when we're all working with our clients and so on, I mean, there's a hundred plus calls going on every single day and then an on-site training and then, you know, a workshop and then all these things that are happening. And, and then people see and they're like, man, Michael's doing a great job. And I'm like, man, I ain't doing any of that. Like there's a whole team <laughs> of people that are, that are right. working their tails off. And I, and I believe they deserve recognition. So like to bring it all back, that's why I opened the event that way. Um, you know, thanking them and just being so grateful. Right. Um, well, there's like a quote, I forget the exact quote, but it's basically like, um, uh, basically having a large throne or like, you know, a large, like, you know, chair or whatever, doesn't make you a King. Um, not at all. I mean, I, I really do think that it's, you know, it's, it's the people, but they're also, I'll tell you what, like people are the hardest part of any business, right? That's you know, when you're saying right. I'm being real on stage. I, so number one, I don't understand how anyone can achieve any level of success and have ego at the end, because I think building a business is one of the most humbling things ever. Like no matter how cool you think you are, how smart you think you are, or talented, I think the market will beat the shit out of you and humble you over many years to get to where you're going. So by the end of that, I don't understand how you're not humble. Um, but two, I just was seeing a lot of people on stage and that they were just making look like it was all flawless, man. Like it was like a, you know, like this, you know, the five steps to doing, you know, to being amazing and becoming a billionaire or whatever it is. And, and, and we all know, I mean, anybody who's run a business knows that it's hard and it's painful and and you're going to make mistakes and there's, it's never perfect, right? Like you just trade in one set of problems for another set of problems, right? Like maybe the problems in the early days are like, okay, how are we going to make payroll? But then new problems today are going to be, well, how do we make sure that like we have a hundred plus people aligned and then we're continuing to innovate at the pace at which we're innovating, you know, um, when we were a small team, let's say, you know, of 10 people, for example, I mean, it's, it's always a different sort of challenge. So I just look at it in the sense that if, you know, anyone who's making it seem like there's no problems. I think they're just being very disingenuous. Um, I actually think the greater competency develop is the ability to navigate problems, not so much the absence of them, right? No problems means, you know, really no growth. Right. There's no growth. Yeah. Um, a question on the employees, because you touched on a really, you can't do it without a good team. What's a, a good advice on finding that talent? Because right now it's, I mean, it's its probably one of the most difficult things, yeah. even with recruiters and, and, and finding that, that talent, not only giving them the the packages and everything that people need and, and you know deserve at this time, but also how do you bring them in, sell them your dream and grow, right? Like a lot of your personality types, I don't know if you, you, you probably don't watch a lot of TV, but I've been re-watching with my wife, the WeWork TV show with Jared Leto. Um, great, like this this whole mindset of, of selling this dream to all these young people, it's 
you know, it just seems like, wow, you know, they're really drinking the Kool-Aid and they really believe it and they and they understand it. Not that your stuff is Kool-Aid, but it's like you've got a really young group of, of employees to sell them on the idea of like, hey, this is the dream. This is where we're going to go. This is where I can take you. You know, how difficult is that? And, and what advice do you give to someone who's who's trying to employ and bring on new employees yeah, well, to believe in their dream? So, so here's the thing. I mean, we get asked the question of like, how do I get like, amazing people like these a players to come work in my business or my law firm how do i get the, the great attorneys to come work with me and and i really think that you should be asking a different question and it's more so around why would the best want to work at my firm like what's in it for them right because i mean think about it, a, an amazing human being that's like super talented super driven super capable um i mean they, they could go anywhere and then anywhere Go is right. going to compensate them well. They're going to have great benefits. You know, it really is a a buyer's market, if you will. So I, I, I say this in the standpoint of like, what's in it for them? And I think there's the you know the basics are like compensating them fairly and competitively. I mean, that's a that's a given, right? I, I don't know that there's any, any bargains that exist today. Um, you know, as far as it relates to like benefits, I think you absolutely. I mean, those are kind of like table stakes at this point, and and you really have to do your best because you know you're not just competing against other businesses or law firms. I mean, it's it's going to be, you know, these tech companies, like any other organization that could be pulling somebody to, to work there. So, of course, great, you know, great pay, great benefits. But really, I think the, the main thing outside of those two, and that's assuming that you've checked those two boxes, is just a compelling vision of like, where are you going? What does that future look like? And then you as the leader, you know, it's, it's less about um, finding these people and I think more so about attracting them. You know, um, so if if you really take an honest assessment of your organization and you, you look at it from the outside and say, man, I think we're pretty great, but um, you have to look at it from a candidate's perspective. Well, where are you going, right? Like, what what's coming down the pipe? What you know, what would excite someone? How would that? How would they grow in terms of their careers and their professional goals? Like, how would that support them? Um, it's not just like, hey, I need you to come in and you know do X, Y, Z, especially if they're the best. So. You know, a lot of times when we're doing things like like the summits or, you know, we're giving cars away or we're doing things in the community or, you know, we're, there are all the different expansions and so on. Um, we found that, you know, people like to be a part of that. And I've even found that like, you know, we have a lot of, especially our executive level talent, um, when they come in, they've read the book or they've listened to the podcast, you know, they want to know, okay, who's, who's the leader here? What's this person like? Because, you know, of course they want to see the culture and it's a great culture, but now, I mean, I don't want to sound grim, but there's a lot of great cultures. There's a lot of great places they can work. I mean, we've got Salesforce here. We've got MailChimp here. Like, I mean, in right. a lot of these organizations, respectfully, are like, man, come in, work whenever you want, do whatever the hell you want. We're gonna pay you well, and then like, even if you don't do anything with no accountability, still come in, right? So it's like competing <laughs> against that. Yeah. It's like, what do you do, right? Yeah. So you know, I think the best thing a you know a law firm, for example, can do is one have a compelling vision, but then also like you've got to be investing back into that business. Like you've got to be going somewhere, right? Like you've got to either you know have let's say a certain focus on a certain impact that you want to make that is entirely differentiated from let's say any other law firm like maybe you're very passionate about certain types of cases and you want to be the best trial lawyers so you get to do very you know very interesting work in terms of the people you help um, maybe there's always something new happening with the firm in terms of like how you're growing how you're expanding but then you as the leader like what you know um, how are you and, and I think that's a great opportunity to be able to, to share your personal brand with people um, because the best like if you ask a lot of our like you know our leadership team and our executive leaders um they were attracted versus like us finding them right like they they reached out to us um 
you know, versus us going, you know, on like Indeed or LinkedIn or whatever it is and, and, uh, and trying to get people to apply for jobs because the reality of it is the best people, um, they're not unemployed, they're happy where they're at, they're making good money, and they're being treated well. So it's like, how do you get that person, right? And I think that really comes back to a great vision, you know, uh, a leader that attracts them um, and a strong culture. But it's, it's not something you do overnight. Um, somebody said to me, I, I will share this, Alex. Somebody said to me the other day, this is funny. Um, they said, man, I bet now with your book, with your podcast, with the conferences, with like, with the, with, you know, with the building and the training center, with the culture, with the best places to work with all this other stuff, I bet it's a lot easier to, um, bring in business now. And I'm like, yeah, as a matter of fact, it is. And I'm like, so what's your point? Um, and they're like, well, cause you have all those things. And I was like, well, you know, I don't know if you know this, but there was a time when we had none of those things. So and at that point, it was a lot more challenging, right? I used to have to like spend hours and hours on phone calls trying to convince people that video like was was something that people would be interested in, right? Like, let me let me talk to you about video, right? You know, 30 frames a second, you can convey emotion on it. Like, I didn't talk about legal video, just video. So we all start somewhere. But, you know, it, it's like uh, eating an elephant, man, one bite at a time. Exactly. And, and uh, two things. So selling video right uh it goes the same with selling any product ours right on the phone you gotta get content 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 but with the video what i've realized about you and you know looking at you grow and watching you for so long you're not selling video you're selling the dream of changing your life which is totally out of like, like that's why there is no competition for you right you said there was all these other companies that did video this and that but at crisp i don't know if it's your sales people or just your pitch on stage i've never been on one of your sales calls or on what they do but specifically there i'm buying a video there this video is going to get you to the next level for you to spend more time with your families grow your law firm do this do that like expand everything and, and create that dream which is why that whole thing that uh you know, you had a hundred lawyers be part of to tell their story during COVID was absolutely brilliant um, because they they believed it. They they told that story, and you know, not only did they have the opportunity to win a, a amazing cool car, but they probably felt good. There was something good about them, something personal about them that appreciated you opening that door for them. Yeah, man, I'll tell you what, and by the way, you get it. So if, if you want to join the team, you already, you got it, you got it all figured out. Like, um, <laughs> so, uh, but I didn't actually for, for a, a number of years, right? I thought, you know, initially we were like in the video business and then what, you know, th th that was when my vision was much smaller, right? It had to expand. But what I realized was like at the time, it wasn't just video and it wasn't just marketing. Like what were these things doing for people? And, you know, for them to be able to differentiate and stand out in their market, allowed them to bring in cases, which allowed them to support their team, which allowed them to hire additional team members, which allowed them to expand their facilities, which allowed them to take their kids and their family to Disney World. Like, I mean, it literally, like, that's what it was doing. It wasn't about the damn video. It wasn't about the, the marketing or any of this stuff. Um, but, you know, it's, but if you say, hey, we're in the, in the life transformation business, people start to roll their eyes because they're like, ah, okay, whatever. And it, so it's, you know, that's taken some time for sure. Um, it, it's really about right. what, what's the goal of all this? Like, if, if you look at it, let's say as an entrepreneur, I think many people become entrepreneurs because 
they either want like control or freedom, right? And I think the two kind of go hand in hand, meaning that they want to be able to do things their way, right? They're betting on themselves, but then also um, it's this level of of freedom that they want to be able to create. Now the challenge is is that if you uh, every day you're coming in and you don't know which way is up and you're spread so thinly and you're exhausted and you can't support your team, you're struggling to make the payroll and you're not there for your family. I mean, that's hell on earth. So if you can help people, you know, create clarity there, right? And make things simpler and then also be able to not just empower them to be able to make better decisions and become better business leaders and grow better firms. Like, and they start to see the matrix and life just gets, you know, a lot more enjoyable. This thing becomes a lot more fun. Um, I also don't know that you can be a great lawyer to your clients if you're exhausted and spread thinly and you can, you know what I mean? Like, and you're just, you're trying to support all these different people at the same time and, and like you're, you're compromised, right? Like, are you really providing the best legal services? So it's really being able to like create clarity there and provide almost like this better future. Um, and when we shared this at the, uh, at the last conference and we had all like, so we did this challenge, you know, throughout COVID in 2020 into 2021, um, where firms would every month would like, would share a video. It was a challenge of what's something you're doing in your community, what's something you're doing for your team, how are you growing as a leader, what's something you're doing with marketing, you know, whatever it was, um, you know, they were doing all the work. Um, it just so happened that there was a community of people that, you know, sometimes around you, if you go to a local bar function, um, you're not going to have these kind of conversations. But if you see firms across the country that are entrepreneurial and they're talking about things like leadership and culture and, you know, and just ultimately impact, um, they, you know, you don't feel alone. And especially during COVID, I feel this is very important, but the firms that had all of these amazing transformations, like, I mean, they've transformed their law firms, they, you know, their team culture improved. Um, they were able to be much more successful. They made a huge impact in their communities. They were losing weight. They were healthier. Now, I just, I want to be clear, like, we did not do any of that, like, meaning that now, we no, may have right. inspired it. We may have like, you know, provided like educational content around it and created a community where there's accountability and support. But I didn't make anybody get on the Peloton every day. Um, I didn't make anybody make the courageous decision to try to keep their entire staff during COVID when all their other competitors were laying everybody off and trying to go into self-preservation. So I felt that it was very important to give credit to all of those people who, you know, who did the work. And then, you know, as a result of their decisions, had those positive outcomes that they did. Did. Another funny story when we when we brought all of them up, and I, I don't remember how many it was. It was like the stage was a uh, 200 um, feet, which I remember because it was like, like two thirds the size of a football field, and. This idea that I wanted screens. to recognize everybody that made all these positive changes because the average firm, I mean, they, they, the average one up there grew by, I think, like 1.4 or 1.8 million or something over that year. And I wanted to just at least recognize them, like just like give them like this a round of applause and some attention. And I remember I was like, well, can we bring them all up? And Chrissy's like, I don't know, it's going to be like 150, 200 people. Um, and she's like, logistically, how long is it going to take to get everybody on stage? And then off stage, right? Like that's a lot of time. And I'm like, I think we just got to right. do it. Um, and, and then, you know, so she's like, okay, but the other thing I got to find out is like, is the stage going to be able to hold all those people, like the weight of them? It's going to, she's like, it's going to be like 60,000 pounds. And I'm like, well, I don't know anything about, you know, you know, stage setups or ringing. Um, and as it turned out, it wouldn't. So she's like, well, let me get a quote of how we would have to reinforce the stage. And I remember I got the quote back. This was like two days before the event. Um, they're like, it's going to be $16,000 to reinforce the stage. If you want to bring those people up and the stage not collapse. And I'm thinking, man, I don't know. Like, is, is this going to be like, oh, number one, I don't know if anyone's going to come up. Number two, like, is that worth it? Like, how do I justify, right. you know, $16,000 just for, you know, um, to be able to 
bring up, you know, 200 people for five minutes, right? Like three minutes or whatever. Um, but, you know, I, for whatever reason, decided, okay, cool, let's do it. And, and it ended up being a really cool moment. Um, that's something that stuck with me for a long time in the sense that, you know, it's something that I keep in front of me. Like, I've got, I've got a photo of it uh, all the time. It's just as a reminder, you know, that it's obviously not about us, but all these other people. But it's a good thing we were doing all those Saturday and Sundays for years and years and years. And, like, we made all those investments and, like, reinvestments and all those sacrifices and all these things. Because a lot of people have benefited from it as a result. So, um, anyway, that was 16000 bucks to bring him on stage. <laughs> there was, uh, I, I don't know if this was part of Evolve or, or one of the ads you had, and it always sticks in my head because, uh, you know, I helped grow my art business through a lot of email marketing. Mm -hmm. And uh, you posed the question to the audience and you were like, how many emails do you think it took to, to get this conference going? And people were like 100, 200,000, 300,000. And you were like, 3 million emails it took to get everyone involved, to get people to sign up and, and get it. And, uh, you know, email marketing is just one of those things that not a lot of people talk about, but you guys do a really good job. Man, I'll tell you what, I it. wish, you know, at this point, so this November is going to be our fifth event. Like if you count evolve, right? It's the Game Changer Summit 2022. And I wish people would learn on the last four, if they could just buy their tickets off the first email, we wouldn't have to send 3 million of them um, leading up to the event. <laughs> and, and I can tell you, this one's going to be way more than 3 million because this event is on a, on a larger scale. It's but big, right? It's, you gotta here, here's the thing. <laughs> I, and I've gotten a lot of criticism for this over the years because there's always somebody who's bothered and they're like, how dare you and all these things um it, you know so this here's the challenge if you don't do that then like then you don't have that that room you don't get them there i mean like the last night we had 2500 people um it you know people are busy they got a lot of things going on they get a lot of emails and if we don't send them emails it's not like everybody else doesn't send their email you know that day their, right. their inbox is going to get slammed regardless it's just you're just going to be absent from the conversation um the other thing is it's just this idea of like it takes what it takes uh, i mean it is it is not easy to get people there and, and i've had so many people that were like dude unsubscribe me which we do and then they'll say i never want to ever hear from you guys again and fuck off and all this other stuff and you know uh, a year later they're sitting in that room and they're a client and they're like a raving fan and they've like brought friends with them and they're like man i'm so grateful i'm so sorry about that a year ago when i told you to fuck <laughs> off like i mean literally i'd say like 10 percent of our client base at some point in my career told me to fuck off right so like early on and now they're here and and, and i think okay okay, well, um, what if you're not persistent? What if you're not staying top of mind? You know, it's, uh, um, you know, then that never happens. Those people never see those, those transformations that you know, ultimately end up happening in their, in their law firms and their lives and, and so on. Um, but it's, it's tough. I mean, I, I will say without a doubt, I mean, the marketing team and I go back and forth on it and they're like, man, should, you know, should we still, you know, should we still send this email or run these ads or, or whatever it is? And I'm like, man, um, we got to make sure that we get these people there. We have to help them, right? Like I can't help you if you don't know that we exist. Okay. How many firms, I mean, I shared yep. this at the last summit when we were sending emails in the last conference, um, we got a list of around like 70,000, 20% of the emails that we got back were like these auto responders from firms saying that like, we are no longer in business. This firm is shut down. Like they didn't make it through wow. COVID. And all I think is that, man, like we did not reach them early enough. Right. Because there was a lot of firms that needed help that got help. But what about the firm that needs you that doesn't know about you that doesn't even have that help coming. So, um, that's where I think we've got to 
move faster. We gotta be able to get in front of people. I just genuinely believe that you can't help anyone. It's the same thing for law firms. Like you say you're committed to what you, you what you do, the people you help. Well, if you're committed to those people, then why would you not wanna be able to reach and impact as many of them as humanly possible? And if you're bashful about it saying, well, I'm just gonna help a few people, man, what a selfish mindset to have, you know? To say, hey, I have this gift and I have this ability. Our firm can really help these people that we're dedicated to, but we're only gonna help a few of them. Like you said, if you would have reached them earlier, it could have been a different story. Same thing for any kind of marketing or any kind of evangelism about anything, right? When 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 you're reaching personal, I'll, right I'll tell you this: I, it, that's always a question. Like, look, I wish, I wish the world was set up in a way where um, where you could just be like um, kind and gentle and just take whatever someone. Did tells you at face value. And if that happened, I would have turned around at that nightclub and went home to my, you know, just driven home and this company would never exist and these people would have never been helped. The same way when I was getting like, you know, uh, hung up on and every time on the on the way to starting crisp, those 21 pitches, every time someone's telling me no, 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 you know, maybe after five, seven, a reasonable person would have said, hey, maybe there's nothing here in this company, no one's interested. But for whatever reason, I hung on for 22. But I think there's a value to persistence um, in that, like, if, if you're, you know, if you're constantly persisting and you're, con and you're let's say, I mean, this all starts with being committed to where you want to go in the belief in what you do. Like if what you do is right. valuable to people, if you're committed to that, then you don't just stop when, you know, when, you know, one person rejects you or two reject you or 10 reject you, or in my case, 21 in a row, um, reject me because, um, then who knows what could have happened? I mean, it's, it's, it, you know, who knows what you could have become, who knows the people you could have helped. So I don't know. I just, I find that and this is where my wife and I are so different um, in, in the sense that like um, if, you know, if, if she hears a no, she's like, okay, I guess you're just not interested. And I'm like, like, wait a second, let me call him back. And in fact, Alex, you're going to like, um, I can't keep secrets, although I'm going to have to with like this summit coming up this November. But um, we really, really, really tried to do something special um, in terms of our speakers and like who we're going to be featuring because they're not like traditional speakers. Like so when you're booking like speakers that are like on a, you know, on a speaker bureau, it's simpler, right? You just reach out to them. There's a speaker rate. You pay the rate and they come and speak. But when you're reaching out to people that are not like traditional, let's say speakers, whether they're um, I don't know, celebrities, athletes, whatever. Like, let's say these people don't need the money. Um, like, for example, Michael right. Jordan. I could offer Michael Jordan $250 million to go speak for an hour, and he would just say no. And you'd be like, well, Michael, why? And he's like, because I just don't want to do it. It's like, okay, and that ends. Right. But like, um, and we didn't, we didn't book Michael Jordan, but like so the speakers that we booked, nearly every single one of them said no to, to us before they said yes. And, and it required a lot of work. Wow. I was like, man, I'm filming videos. I'm writing letters. I'm like real, cause none of them need the money, right? Like they, they don't need to come out to Atlanta. They don't need to like speak at this, you know, the stadium and all this stuff. They just don't need any of it. So it's like, but I want to do something really unique and special with the lineup that we have this year. Cause I, I don't think anyone, including us is ever going to do a, another legal conference inside of a Super Bowl stadium. That's, that's a one-time thing. So, right, that's one yeah, time. Yeah, so we're going to do amazing. it special. Who's been your favorite speaker? Uh, one of oh, your favorites. Just overall that, that we've had. had so far? Oh, yeah. okay. I'm going to try to do this without giving anything away. Um, someone that, oh gosh, you know, I, I really like Tim Grover. Um, he, he, you know, yeah, I like you know, We've got some polarizing responses. I think sometimes the best speakers that there's like people who love some of them and then they're like, I absolutely yeah, hate that person. Yeah, it's probably 50-50 with know? his story. Um, yeah. So <laughs> I, I liked him. I thought he was really great. Um, Gary's always done a great job, like Gary Vaynerchuk. Um, mm -hmm. Malcolm Gladwell I thought was a very interesting, kind of like a very different speaker that we had at the 
the last one. Yeah, it was storytelling. Because Tim Grover goes yeah. up. It was actually funny because I was sitting in the back in the in the green room with Malcolm Gladwell, and Malcolm is very like meek and just very quiet. And then Tim Grover's mm-hmm. on stage like screaming at people, right? And Malcolm has to follow that, right? <laughs> so Malcolm's like, right. "What kind of conference is this?" And I'm like, well, "Tim's he's the only one that's been like that." And, and I thought Tim did a great job. And then Malcolm did his own thing, and and you know, uh, and I think he did a wonderful job as well. Yeah, it was good. I I, I enjoyed. Uh, all of them. Um, so without giving anything away, what do we have to look forward to other than this giant stadium uh, in all November? Right, so this is going to be nuts. Uh, I know, so we had uh, 2,500 uh, people at the last one. Um, we were targeting 10,000 for this one. And it is wow. pushing our team to the, like, just, you know, the limits of like, what can we do here? How do you, how do you do that? Right? Like it's almost like taking every legal conference in the legal industry and trying to put it all in one room, right? Like all of them combined. Um, and really what we're aiming to do is like this, you know, one, an incredible experience. So as you mentioned, like earlier when we were speaking, like, you know, the last few events have been very intimate, but then when you go to a stadium, it's like, how do you preserve that intimacy? Um, which we certainly intend to do. And then we also actually want to elevate the experience, like really make it a high end VIP experience. Um, I think production is going to be very like just, through the roof of this one, but more importantly, like the content, the speakers, it's really going to be about like the law firm of the future. Everything about like what's going out, you create an investable law firm. How are you going to be able to lead, like to grow as a leader, to build a great culture, how to attract the best people, um, all of those different things about where are things going versus like where have things been, right? I, I find, and I, I mean no disrespect to anyone, but I find that a lot of conferences are like, you know, um, former trial, you know, lawyers telling war stories about how badass they were 20 years ago and it's like everybody you know one after the other is patting each other on the back but then there's a lot of firms sitting in that room that are like great but like i couldn't you know that 20 years ago that worked but if i were to do that today um i don't know that i could like for me to break in the tv advertising today right in 2022 is that really the best strategy for me like shit man and you're telling me it works but you started 20 years ago or you got the billboards 20 years ago like now it's a different right. price point like maybe we talk about where things yep. are going because you know i'm a solo or i'm a small firm or, you know, or any of those things. So I think that's one aspect of it. Um, I also just believe it's probably going to be one of the best networking events, um, in the legal industry, just to put that many firms, in, you know, in one room. Um, and then our average firm is a, you know, is, is a seven or eight figure firm that, that attends these things. Um, so you know, we're going to have two after parties, one on that first night. And then uh, another, we're going to close the event with, we got a special musical act that man, am I so wow. pumped about this one? We got to, I mean, they're doing it at Mercedes-Benz, <laughs> nice. right? Mercedes-Benz Stadium where they play, the, you know, yep. the Rolling Stones play and all, all this stuff. So um, so we're going to have a, a cool musical act to close out the whole event. But it's just going to be a great time. And, and I know sometimes people see this and they're like, man, all the theatrics and all this production and all this stuff. Like, man, like, why are they investing all this money? And, and I think, Alex, you realize it, but... Here's the thing. We could deliver this content on a Zoom or in like, you know, just kind of like at a, you know, at a boring venue or whatever it is. And you could get the same content, but you're not going to transform anyone. And I think to transform someone, you got to get them feeling a certain way. You got to get them energized. You got to get them excited. You got to get them around the right people, like to make that sort of breakthrough when they say, okay, enough is enough. I'm going to stop playing small or I'm going to fire this, you know, cancerous person in my office, or I'm going to break out and start my own thing or, or whatever it is. But that only happens when you're feeling inspired and it doesn't happen when you're bored and it doesn't happen when you're sitting in the back of the room on your laptop while everybody else is, you know, um, you know, it's also on their laptop 
example, there's a speaker, you know, speaking to a bunch of people who are on their laptops and not even paying attention to them. Um, I think you got to be loud. And it's the same thing with the cars. Like if I could give away a Prius and get people excited, I'd be giving away Priuses. I mean, (laughs) like less expensive than, you know, the Rolls Royce and those things. So, um, but overall, like, you know, we start with always the fact of like, how do we make this a great experience and how do we make this a valuable event for people? That's like first and foremost, like, how do we just make this great? Like that's, um, and maybe this one we're overcompensating, uh, because, it's just expectations at this point. They're like, people really like the last one. They're like, that was the best one yet. So, um, you know, we, we don't want to disappoint anybody. You know, it keeps me up at night. Like, I don't want to let anybody down. So we're going all in. And when I say it's a one-time thing, I, I, I like, this is not marketing when I say this, by the way. Like, it is literally, right. we are never going to do, um, and I don't think anyone will ever do an event inside of a, like a stadium ever again. And it's just because the economics of it don't make sense. Like, at that scale of an right. event, you're almost better yeah. off saying, okay, let's just stick to the 25 500 number maybe do like you know two a year but when you get into like that 10,000 um this event like i'll put it in perspective the last one um and i'll, I'll just be transparent uh, the last event was around three million dollars for that investment for that event this yeah. one's going to be close to eight million for two days okay wow. before anybody walks in the door so you look at that and i think all right we're going to do it once uh i want people to have an amazing experience but uh, after this you know no more stadiums that's awesome. What's new for Crisp? Products, services? Yeah. Well, so so the coaching. I mean, this this has been like our number one focus. I mean, that huge. has. Yeah. So at you know last year, last May, we moved into our new facility. So we, we I mean, I'm a lunatic. I bought a building during COVID, right? No one was buying buildings in commercial real estate, and we spent Amazing. that year building out the space, which is like this state of the art. You know, corporate training facility. So, um, so now, you know, it's interesting in our first year in, in 2018, we started the coaching program. We had three workshops that whole year. This year we're going to have over 50 and you know, it's, it's law firms coming in every single quarter. But also the other thing that's new is that we introduce the, uh, the team member training. So firms send their team members as well. And they, they have their own workshops just for team members, not for firm owners, um, where they're learning about everything from like marketing to client experience, to HR, to, you know, operations and back. And so uh, it's something exciting that's happening here every single week. Um, so those are those are the two that are happening now. We'll have a few. Uh, hopefully, surprises to share in November um, at the summit. Like the things that we've been working on, we've had to hold hold a lot of things back. I mean, Alex, you got to understand, like this COVID thing, and then the building, and then our you know our second daughter was born, and I'm. So like, you know, right. there, there's a lot of things that Jessica mentioned this on the podcast uh, and she was right. But uh, there's things that I had to say, OK, we're going to save that for next year or we're going to save that for two years from now. We're not quite ready. And then now it's, you know, it's starting to come to fruition. So there's things that have been in, in development for the last two years that, man, I'm like, shit, I wish I you know share that two years ago. It just wasn't, you know, at a, at a place where it was ready yet. So that's going to be coming in November. Um, uh, we're going into uh, uh, content writing and SEO. Uh, I'm just playing. Actually, I'm not touching it, man. It's all yours. Ah. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. Now, um, and then also the other thing, I, I'm um, almost done. This has been a labor of love almost three years with my second book, which will be out uh, later this year as well. So, is it a is it a part of the game changing attorney or yeah, something totally so different? You, you, here, you'll get the exclusive because I haven't shared anything. So the first book's the game changing attorney, really like a marketing brand positioning book. Um, the second book that I've been working on for the last three years is called The Game Changing Law Firm. And it's a 
business, wow. people, culture books. So to answer your questions around like, well, how do you attract the best people and this culture? It's it's all about that. Um, I, it is a labor of love. And after this one, I am done with uh, adult books for a while and I'm moving on to children's books. So that's it. Oh man, I love that. I And and is this, so part of the podcast, and I do this with my kids too, right? Um, the words that we speak to each other are the foundation of when we were children, right? Kind of like your daughter was saying, mm -hmm. I can't. Um, so the same thing for our kids, right? Like you, you, you gotta change that mindset. Um, is that kind of the route you're going into is to change that mindset and groove yeah. so, early on? So in my, you know, um, in my daytime life, right? We're trying to help adults and, and, and with adults, it's like, right. you know, after, you know, 30, 40, 50 years of being alive and being a human being, like your beliefs are your beliefs and your values are your values. And that, and that is a very, very, like a much more challenging, like kind of mindset to alter, you know, after 40, 50, 60 years of trauma, right? Now, right. every night I'm reading to our girls. Um, so Mila's three, Misha's one. And like, I love, like, you know, I love reading these great books, but you realize like, man, like this is the age, right? From like probably age one to really age four or five, like where they're just mindsets being shaped and the, like their self-talk and like their beliefs and like whether they're, you know, um, how they see themselves, like their confidence, their value set, all these different things. Uh, and, you know, this is something that I had to learn like very slowly, very painfully later in life because I right. struggled so much, man. Like when I was a kid, my mom bought me a book on self confidence like i was in middle school and she's like let me buy you a book on self-confidence like the worst thing to do to a middle school kid i already wasn't confident <laughs> now i got a book on, on self-confidence i'm like mom like, this, this is like it's like traumatizing you know um constantly yeah. dealing with imposter syndrome constantly like this, this idea that you know um i'm not good enough i'm a failure like you know all these different things and and i think i don't think that any of that helped me people will say oh you got a chip on your shoulder and i'm like yeah you know but like you know, operating in that kind of state uh, I'll tell you what, when you reconcile yourself and like you are true to yourself and authentic, I actually find you have more energy and you're more productive than being like resentful and vengeful. But like when you go get kids in particular, sure. um, I mean, just how are those things shaped? And it's based on how like we as parents speak to them and it's based on like kind of their interaction with the world. So I don't know. I always, I always kind of joked that I'd love to write a children's book on just growth mindset and like how to respond to adversity and like challenges and just self-belief and like just perseverance, all these healthy things that I think regardless of what you end up doing in life, um, allow you to be the type of human being that can, that can stand on their own and be a person of value. Because, you know, as the saying goes, it's like either you prepare your kids for the world, you know, or the world will. Right. So, um, I, you know, I think once this book is done after these three long years, uh, I'm going to take a pause and a break. And, uh, and then, you know, one day I do want to write a kid's book because, uh, I've read a lot of them to my daughters over the last several years. And every time I'm always thinking, man, uh, I don't know how many of these are written by like business leaders, <laughs> you know, cause they're like, you'd see, right. I'm like right. reading like a little Lambie, which is like a, a good one that we read, but, um, I don't know. I'm like, you know, there's some really valuable lessons that somebody can, you know, learn as a child. And then there's going to be an absolute beast when they're older. Unstoppable. Awesome. Uh, well, we're running out of time. I got a couple questions online and one of them goes to a concert. Um, if you could see one last concert, who would you see and where would you oh, want to see man. it? Oh, man. In fact, I actually want to go to it. Um, at, at Swedish House Mafia, Madison Square Garden. Um, I actually think that wow. they're, so they're, they're back on tour. There's one coming up later this year and, um, 
I, you know, you know, I used to DJ. I came from this like whole like, you know, I'm European, right? We we have to, right? We have to DJ. Um, but I am like <laughs> these guys retired, and then they came back, and then they retired, and then they came back, and I think this is like the final tour. So um, I think that's what it would be, you know, Swedish House Mafia for sure. Nice. What's the optimal media mix in today's environment, and why? Just overall, think? in terms of like content consumption. Mm. Yep. Well. So, I mean, the best answer is it depends. But if I had to uh, share one today, I I am really, I mean, I'm biased, right? But I'm fan, I'm a huge fan of podcasting, and I say that because mm-hmm. you just have context, which is missing in society, right? Like, there's you know a lot of times you know people are consuming things in like certain bite-sized pieces or a quote or you know or whatever, and it's like you know just you're not having an in-depth conversation where you can really like learn about someone and why they believe what they believe, and you can challenge them, you can have great discourse and all these different things that I think are important and healthy to a great society, and, and I think when you're doing long-form conversations like these, um, you're able to communicate information in a way that you know I, I think other mediums really don't do as well. So uh, right now, I'd say podcasting. I mean, w- without a doubt, you know. I mean, you could you could argue other things like TikTok and other stuff. You can get right. your dopamine hit, you know, wherever you want to go. But there's something to be said about asking good questions and then like learning from people who have been to a place where you want to go. Jason Hennessy asks on Instagram, uh, "What is your go-to karaoke oh, song?" Uh, what's that Celine Dion <laughs> song? Gosh. Oh, I don't know. She's oh. got so many. Like, Do you really? Is it a Celine Dion you know, you know song? That one? <laughs> oh, yes. You know what's so funny? Oh, like, through, through the year. Um, so our Summit playlists have been quite popular. And uh, if anyone's ever interested, by the way. Like the last it's one, all the, on Spotify. Yeah, like I start building them, right? Awesome. I start building these playlists, uh, and it, if you want to look any of them up, just go like on Spotify and you like search like Game Changer Summit, like two or three or this one, you know, 2022. But I'm always like finding these tracks that I'm like thinking about for certain moments during like the event, and and I sent the Celine Dion song to the team, and they're like, when the hell are we gonna work this? One? Right. I'm like, oh, we're going to do like a kiss cam. Right. But now like a kiss cam, we're just going to like profile people. And I'm like, it's going to be amazing. Um, You know, so uh, I mean, it's all over the place. If you look at the playlist, um, I'm obsessed with music. So you'll see like Celine Dion on one hand and then like Diplo. And then you'll see like, you know, Mm -hmm. Drake and then like just, I mean, all sorts of stuff. So uh, constantly building it throughout the year. And I'm like, I'm like visualizing every moment of the event in my mind. And actually it's funny. It's like the last event, you know, end in November. Um, you know, I forget the date it was like ninth and 10th on the 11th. I'm already thinking about the next one. Like that's really when it starts. It's like, okay, um, what kind of music are we going to play? What speakers are we going to book? How are we going to make it better? And Jessica's like, man, can you just like, like, can you, can you go like a day, like give, you know, like two days or something We you spent all year building this. You're already thinking about the next one. Can you like enjoy it for a minute? And I'm like, Man, I did enjoy it. Like now I'm excited about the next one. So Yeah, it's like when we're on vacation and we're planning our that's, next that's vacation. Right. Like, you know, we should go next. Like, man, can you enjoy it? So here, here's the last thing I'll say year. on that. It's like there's because sometimes people are like, man, can you just be happy or, or whatever? Um, I think that one should always be grateful 
for where you are and the people around you and, the, and your health and all the things that you've achieved because I think that's very important, but I'm completely against being complacent, right? So it's this idea of like, man, I am way, way more grateful now um, than I was when I was broke as hell by myself, right? Well, like without any love and then no confidence, right? I'm way more grateful today to every single day. Like literally um, this morning walking into the office, I bring this smoothie in this glass bottle Jessica makes that keeps me alive every day. And as I'm opening the door, I drop the smoothie, the thing blasts all over the ground and like on my shoes and my pants. Um, and I, you know, uh, I'll look down and I think, oh man, um, I think I just ruined my day. And I'm like, nah, I'm just kidding. Are you kidding me? That's like nothing, man. Like I, I, life is amazing. It's right, no big it's deal. Like it's just a smoothie, right? Someone couldn't start their car this morning, right? Like that's a problem, right? Like you just drop the smoothie on your pants. Who cares? So I think it's, you know, you should be grateful for where you are, but at the same time, I, you know, never satisfied because if you believe like, Hey man, um, I don't think I peaked in college. I think our best days are ahead of us, right? You have to be optimistic. Yep. So that's where that comes from. It's just the fact that just not being complacent. Well, also, man, this has been a great hour with you. I appreciate you taking the time. I'm super stoked for November and to see any new things that are coming out from you and Crisp, uh, even your weekly emails. Uh, just check it out. Love the copy. Um, but uh, anything else you want to add? No, man, look, I'm, I'm incredibly, incredibly grateful for this. And Alex, I want to like extend my gratitude to you because you've been in the game a long time. I've seen people come and go and just like, you know, you, you, there's people that you, you think, oh man, they're, they're the new thing. And then, you know, a few years later, you never see them again. But for you yourself, for someone who's been so consistent and over so many years and doing it the way you've done it and just doing it in a way of like high integrity, high ethics, and just being a good dude. Um, thank you.